Good evening, Heritage Potch. It's good to be with you. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Benji. I'm actually from Heritage Joburg. Um, so I've been there uh, from 2019, uh, fellowshipping with the saints that side. So they do extend their greeting uh, towards you as well. I know Pastor Michael's also been here quite a bit uh, recently. Well, yeah, so so just some good news and bad news. Uh, good news is that Pastor Rion did just message me saying, you know, I'd like to keep sermons short and sweet, not to preach for too long. Uh, the bad news is I only saw the message this morning. So, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So you can turn there so long. And yeah, basically, I mean, the sermons, the Sermon on the Mount is where we are finding our text this evening. And so we're going to be considering uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, where Jesus teaches on earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. And just by way of context, in the book of Matthew, so far Jesus has taught on right giving, the way to give rightly and wrongly as well. Um, And then also with prayer, there's a correct way to pray and an incorrect way to pray. The incorrect way is to pray like a hypocrite on the street corner so that you can be seen by others. And even with fasting, he he taught on fasting, saying, you know, there's a way that his disciples ought to fast, and then there's a way that the hypocrites fast, uh, where they want to be seen by others. And I believe Jesus is revealing how all of the people of his day, and certainly in our day as well, we can find security in in being well thought of by outsiders. You know, we might think, I know I'm a sinner, I might be walking in unrepentant sin, but as long as everybody else sees me as being clean, then I'm okay, right? Anyway, so Jesus proves that the hypocrite security system is flawed. All right, well, today, today's passage, the focus shifts somewhat, uh, but it's still very similar in that Jesus addresses the wrong place to find one's security, and today he's exposing those who are finding security in earthly riches, earthly possessions, what we have, what we own, our house, or, or whatever the case is. And, you know, the person who uses earthly money to, to build up their defenses and, and feel safe and secure, that, that's the person that Jesus is really uh, speaking to in this text. And uh, Proverbs 18, verse 11, uh, says exactly this. It says, The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. You know, the person will think, I'm untouchable. Nothing can affect me. They'll need to get through my, my moat and my castle and my, my high walls, right? Wrong. Jesus says that even this security system is flawed because the wealth itself and a desire for this wealth, when you're seeing that this is your ultimate treasure, that itself can become the enemy from within. And so just as the the hypocrite security system is flawed, the rich man security system, Jesus preaches also to be false. Well, let us read our text this evening, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let us open for us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the text uh, before us, O Lord. We thank you for your holy scriptures that you have breathed out uh, that are useful for us, for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. We do ask, O Lord, that we indeed might be changed uh, from this text, that we might not leave here unchanged, but that we might uh, be sanctified, that we might learn uh, how to live in a manner uh, that is uh, pleasing to you, in a manner worthy of the calling we have received as Christians. We ask this in, in your name. Amen. Well, I found a story to illustrate our text. Um, I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with Aesop. Um, he was a, a, a writer many thousands of years ago. Um, and Aesop's fables became famous because they taught uh, very um, strong lessons. And so there's one about a miser and his gold. A miser is someone who uh, uh, stores up money and stores up wealth. They're very stingy with their money. And so the story goes like this. It says, a miser had buried his gold in a secret place in his garden. Every day he went to the spot and dug up the treasure and counted it piece by piece to make sure it was all there. He made so many trips to this spot in his garden that a thief who had been observing him guessed what it was that the miser had hidden and one night quietly dug up the treasure and made off with it. When the miser discovered his loss, he was overcome with grief and despair. He groaned and cried and tore his hair. A passerby heard his cries and asked what had happened. My gold, my gold, cried the miser wildly. Someone has robbed me. Your gold? There in that hole? Well, why did you put it there? Why did you not keep it in your house? So that you could easily get it when you had to buy things. Had to buy things, screamed the miser angrily. Why, I never touched the gold. I couldn't think of spending any of it. The stranger picked up a large stone and threw it into the hole. He said, if that is the case, cover up that stone. It is worth just as much to you as the treasure you lost. Right? And the story reveals something of the lesson that Jesus teaches us here regarding the futility of hoarding up earthly treasure that will one day pass away. <clears throat> Well, our text breaks down into three sections. Firstly, looking at the two types of treasures in verse 19 to 21, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And this is where we'll spend majority of our time. And then we look at two eyes, verse 22 to 23. The eye that is healthy, the eye that is filled with light, and the bad, unhealthy eye that is filled with darkness. And finally, two masters. God as a master or money as a master. <clears throat> and I want us to, to see that all of these are really interlinked. Um, where we store our treasure is a result of what we're fixing our eyes upon. And this reveals who we are ultimately serving as our master. And I want us to see from the text that fixing our eyes on heavenly pursuits helps us to <clears throat> serve God by living in the light and investing in eternal treasure as opposed to worldly treasure. Well, let us consider the first section, two types of treasures. So the text starts, do not lay up for yourselves, do not store up for yourselves treasures 
on earth. So note first how our text starts, right? Saying, do not. Okay, this is not a suggestion, it's a command. Uh, in this in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is expounding on the Old Testament law. And we must have it in our minds that, that this command is as authoritative as do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, remember the Sabbath, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We're not to collect and hoard riches on this earth. And what is he referring to here by treasure? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to our minds is certainly money, right? Possessions, the stuff that would make you look at someone and be like, wow, that guy's loaded, right? Fancy car, fancy house, whatever the case is, the bling bling around his neck, the necklaces, right? Earthly treasure. Certainly all these things are being referred to, right? And Jesus says, why ought we not to collect them? He says, moth and rust will destroy and thieves can break in and steal, He's pointing out to the transience of riches, the, the temporariness, the volatility. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. And in the, in the fable I read at the beginning, the gold vanished overnight, right? A thief came in and stole. And he might have considered himself the richest person in town. And the next day, he was completely destitute. And I mean, that happens all the time, right? When we invest in the latest iPhone or the BMW 7 Series. Or, I'm not one for cars, but you know, the latest thing. In that moment, it has so much value, right? It, it has, it's like the most valuable thing. And in a couple of years, it seemed to be outdated. It's, it's lost that value. I heard an, an ad on the radio a couple of days ago about the new Samsung flip phone. The, now we have flip phones again, right? That was a thing of the past. And now it was all about being flat, uh, a big touchscreen. Now it's we're back to the fa- Samsung flip and the Samsung fold. Anyway, the ad said, you know, say goodbye to the flat and boring and say hello to Samsung flip. And I was just thinking, you know, how we just go through these cycles of if, if, this is valuable, this is not valuable, right? And I mean, you could have the, the fanciest house and all of this, but even with these winds, I'm not sure if you've seen even in Eastern Cape and Western Cape, there have been roofs that have had, or houses that have their roofs completely torn off, right? And I mean, a tsunami could come and just destroy a village or landslide could, could wipe your house and take it into the ocean. Uh, even COVID, right? We saw how many people lost their jobs and completely just went from being okay or rich to just having nothing. So... A proverb really nicely highlights this. Proverbs 23, verse 4 to 5. It says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist it. It's Proverbs 23, verse 4. Be discerning enough to desist it, because when your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Right, It's saying, be discerning enough to desist earthly wealth, because as soon as you get to it, it's going to have wings, it'll be gone. Well, what is, what is your view of money? What is your view of earthly possessions? Has it captured your heart? Now, as much as I think this, this text is definitely talking about these earthly riches, I'd venture to say earthly treasure does not only include wealth and tangible things we can hold, but even other commodities on this earth that are perceived to give one status. What about beauty, right? It's, it's seen to be a $571 billion industry, which is an 8% increase every year, 
which is actually the fastest growing industry, beauty. It's, it's such a perceived treasure on this earth, right? Uh, you could say that an extremely beautiful woman is secure in a way. She can marry rich or you know, make money doing modeling or whatever the case is. Well, what does the Bible say about beauty? It says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Paul says our outer self is, is wasting away, right? And it's sad to see how many people you know, spend so much money on, on trying to retain their vitality, retain their youth try to, to, to show other people that they're not as old as they look. Or one day we'll all lose our vitality, we'll all lose our health, and we'll be dependent on others. Yeah? <laughs> and not only beauty, what about popularity? Right? Many find their value and security in their social circles, uh, who they know or how many followers they have on Instagram or whatever the case. Right? And, and doing evangelism and answer that, it comes up very, very commonly, is that people say, you know, all my friends are doing the same thing, right? I don't mind going to hell because my friends are going to be in hell, <laughs> right? They have this view that as long as everyone else is walking in the same direction, then they find the sense of security, right? As long as there's a crowd who are saying that they're doing, uh, that they're not evil or they're, they're not as bad as their neighbor. And we need to burst that bubble, right? Because what the Bible says about hell, it's not an eternal party with friends, it's filled with weeping. It's filled with gnashing of teeth. Well, others find value in their knowledge, right? That's another earthly treasure. Gaining all this knowledge, all the PhDs and the letters behind their name. Right? Nothing can affect them because they have an answer for everything. Have you met someone like this? You talk to them and they have an answer. You know, you say, oh, are you sure about that? Then they have three reasons. This are the three reasons I need to do this in this way. You know, I know someone like this. <laughs> it's very hard to argue with them. And as soon as you tell them anything, they have all this literature to, to back them up. This is fleeting, right? They'll become senile one day. They won't know their left hand from their right hand. And thus the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And please don't hear what I'm not saying or what, what Jesus is not saying. You know, these things, cars, clothing, beauty, popularity, they're not bad things in and of themselves. We're not advocating to be monks and to go to the mountains and live a life of asceticism, saying we don't want to touch anything earthly, right? Many people have done that. But but it's the hoarding up, the laying up, this heart that just wants more and more and more. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's devoting our life to the pursuit of riches. And, and this world preaches this gospel, right? The, the world preaches this. It says that money can buy you happiness. <laughs> I, I looked online and I saw a number of articles, even one from the Washington Post, saying, actually, it's proven money can buy you happiness. And they did some, some statistics and did some surveys of people who were rich living in that way and they, they were more happy than other people. Well, it's just a lie, right? It's, it's, it's deceitful because they're only considering this short time on earth, right? And, and, and truly, you know, Jesus is pointing us to something much grander. Well, friends, what, what are some things you might be finding your security in? Our, our Lord Jesus Christ says that's a bad idea, right? Even these riches, it's, it's a bad idea. It's a bad investment. And we ought to think how we're we using our time, how we're we using our money and our resources. What are we laying up? 
There's a parable of the rich fool, I'm sure you remember. The rich fool who, who was gaining more and more and more, and, and he was storing up, and he had one big problem. What was it? He didn't have room to store everything, right? He, he needed to build bigger barns. That was the solution. I'm going to build bigger barns. And, and God says to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. Then what will you get, or who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That's what God says to this rich fool who thinks he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. He's saying, this night your soul is required of you. And Jesus says, what can you give in return for your soul? Well, notice in our text that, that you know we can't say Jesus just says, don't store up treasures, full stop. If we keep on reading, he instructs us that we must store up treasures. Where? In heaven. Right, He says, here moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. Well, when are we to start storing up this treasure? Today, right? Presently, in our current situation, if you've been born again and you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can start collecting treasure in your future eternal home. Isn't that beautiful? To think already today, we can start storing up treasure in heaven. So, so Jesus is not saying don't invest. He's just giving us investment tips. He's saying don't invest on things on the earth. It's a bad idea, right? If you, if you trade or if you're on the stock market, he's saying that's, that's bad. That's only going to last for so long. There's a better investment that, that goes for eternity. Well, the question arises, how does one store up treasure in heaven? What does that even mean, right? What does that actually look like practically? I want us to think about that for a moment. How do we get treasure into heaven? Is it like smuggling through your coffin or through the grave, like he's snuggling popcorn snacks into the movie cinemas? No, right? That's not what, what he's saying. What is Jesus referring to about storing up treasure? Well, what we can see from the text is that whatever this treasure is, it's permanent and it cannot be destroyed by moth or rust. And there's a way in this life for us to obtain this treasure. Well, I think you could store up treasure in heaven in a few ways, and I'm going to just talk about three. One is, and we see this throughout the scripture, the treasure that comes from doing the work of ministry. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, the one who plants and the one who waters is nothing. Right? They have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. Right, So he's saying, the one who plants, the one who waters, they have the same purpose, and they're going to be rewarded according to their labor. And a few verses later, he describes a church as a building. right? And he says that each person builds on the foundation that he laid, some with gold, some with silver, some with precious stones, some with wood, hay, and straw. And the final day will disclose each person's work. And verse 14 says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And so it's evident that the work done in and for the church does reap heavenly rewards. And what is our mentality toward the church? Are we thinking about how we can serve, how we can build up the church? Are we having a, a host mentality or a guest mentality? I heard this once when someone said, when you're coming to church, do you have a guest mentality where you're just seeking, like, what can I get from this church? Or, ah, let me go to another church. This has better music or better this or better that. Um, right? Or a host mentality saying, I'm part of this church. I, I congregated with this local church. What can I do to, to 
how can the Lord use me to, to build this church? What gifts has he given me to serve in the church? Well, not only in building up the church, but, but Jesus even says in Luke 16, verse 9, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth or worldly resources, so that when money fails, these friends can welcome you into eternal dwellings. What does he mean by saying we can use worldly wealth to make friends that are welcome us into eternal dwellings? What Jesus is saying is that with our money, with our time, with our resources, we can invest in something beyond this lifetime. Right? Beauty, popularity, money, all of this will fade away. But if you share the gospel with an unbeliever, if you explain to a sinner that Jesus Christ came to the earth to save people like them, if you explain to them that by confession and faith, the Son of God will remove every sin from them, and give a person everlasting life, and that they believe this and they're born again, that's an eternal effect, right? The soul is, is going to be eternally safe and, and enjoying life everlasting. That's treasure in heaven. And you'll arrive in heaven and these never-dying souls will be praising God for using you to bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we wake up in the morning and we can either devote our life to, to earthly effects or heavenly effects. If you think of the, the biggest corporations, Apple or IBM, right? This is this amazing legacy. They've lasted for how many years, right? But in heaven, I'm not sure if we'll be using Apple or, or IBM. Not sure if there's any Apple fans here. I don't want to step on toes. But... but all these, the, the biggest legacy, it lasts until the, 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 the time where Jesus says he's going to come back with the angels. The earth will be folded up like a garment and put aside. The new heavens and the earth, new earth will be here. So what are we doing to invest treasure in that eternal reality? Well, a second treasure comes from a faithful life lived unto Christ. A life of obedience that will lead to heavenly rewards. So first we've looked at, you know, work done, the work of ministry. Then secondly, a faithful life. Peter says to Jesus, we've left father and mother. What will there then be for us, right? Jesus says everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And this, this reality is throughout the scriptures and especially true when talking about persecution and trials. Jesus in, in Revelation 2, he talks to the church in Smyrna uh, who's undergoing tribulation and who were about to have some of their members thrown into prison. And Jesus said that those who are faithful unto death will receive what? Will receive the crown of life. Likewise, early in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are you when, when people revile you, when you undergo persecution, and when people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. As we are undergoing living, a Christian, living as a Christian in this lifetime, living with your unbelieving friends or, or whoever it is, living at campus or at school or, or at the workplace, as you choose to live and to choose to do things in the Christian way, that is storing up treasure in heaven. 
Are we living a life that is faithful? And when we are tempted, when we face trials, when we're given the choice to, to crumble under the pressure of those around us, or to stand firm in the gospel way, which are we choosing? Right? When we're tempted to take shortcuts at work, or when husbands, when you're tempted to have a, a quick word with your wife, or, you know, a harsh word, or wives, when you are tempted to, to disrespect your husband, are we choosing to be faithful unto Christ, to choose the gospel way, and thus store up treasure in heaven. Well, we've looked at the work of ministry and uh, uh, life of faithfulness. A third way to store up treasure in heaven is for caring, by, by caring for the poor and needy. James says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, what? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Jesus commends those who clothed the naked and gave food to the hungry and visited those in prison. There's a repeated theme in the scriptures of caring for the helpless person, the one who can't care for themselves. And in Luke, Jesus says, he gives us tips on when you host a dinner or banquet. He says, don't, don't invite the rich people in case they will invite you back and you'll be repaid. But he says, when you host a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. There's this amazing concept of God sees everything we do, and when we're not repaid, he will repay us, right? He will balance the books. Isn't that amazing? And, and are we aware of this mindset? Are we thinking of this as we are living our life? Well, to the idea of the text, it's saying, where are we laying up our treasures? What is it that we are investing our time and our resources in? These are just three examples of, of, heavenly tre- of, of how we can store up heavenly treasures, but in order to store up these heavenly treasures, it, it requires earthly resources, right? Our money, contributing to sending out missionaries, even as our brother was praying this morning. Helping those who are needy in our midst, helping the work of translating Christian literature, right? And students, you might say, I don't have any money. You can use your time. Your students do have time, contrary to popular belief. You know, when you get to the workplace, you'll think, oh, I wish I'd used my time more effectively, right? Use your time. Offer to babysit for other, you know, young couples in the church that, that just want a night to themselves. Uh, there's, there's many things you can do with your time. Use your resources. Use cars to give lifts. Use your home to, to host people, right? To those who are beautiful in the church, I'm not speaking from experience at all, but those who are beautiful, I'm sure you can even use your beauty or your popularity to, to further the kingdom, Right, I heard a story of a beautiful girl who would always be pursued by guys, and she'd just invite them to church, just say, "Ah, oh, come to church." And of course, you know, they'd come to church, they'd be there on Sunday, hear the gospel being preached. You, if you have a YouTube channel, I know some brothers here uh, involved in the Ratio Christi or, or at Klagsdorp, right? Use this, you know, this platform. Create a platform to to share the gospel. To say, how am I investing in eternal treasure? Well, we're then told where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And it's kind of counterintuitive, right? We'd expect it to say where your heart is, there you're going to invest your treasure. But it's saying where you're investing treasure, that's where your heart will be. A very good indication of where our heart is is to examine what is it that we're treasuring. And how do we know if we're devoted to something? Well, we won't want it taken away from us. Right? We won't, our heart won't want this nicety that we're enjoying to be ripped away. 
And again, this is not only wealth, right? This could be a certain area of sin in your life. You, you're enjoying this, this treasure, this earthly, this earthly benefit, and it's costing you eternal treasure. You're enjoying it so much and you're refusing to let it go. Well, how are we spending our time? How are we spending our money? Do we have an eternal outlook? Are we storing up wealth on this earth? Well, let's get to the next section. Jesus talks about two eyes, a healthy eye and an unhealthy eye. Verse 22 reads, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If we think about the eye, it's our most used sensory organ. Right? If, if you ask someone, would you rather be blind or deaf? It's a common question, right? No one wants to be blind. We want to continue enjoying our sight, to see colors, right? And now, if, if you think about our eye, how is this re- related to the previous text? Well, what Jesus is addressing is what are we filling our eye with? What are we looking at? As we're waking up in the morning and looking at our phone and looking at YouTube, what are we fixating on? What are we spending a lot of time thinking of? Is it the latest car and always wanting to see the, the small changes between this model and that model? What is it that we're filling our eyes with? If we fill our eyes with worthy things, it'll lead to light in our bodies. Um, you might know John Bunyan from his famous work on Pilgrim's Progress, right? But his second most famous work um, is called The Holy War, right? And it's also, and the whole thing's an analogy uh, whereby... It describes the city, the city of Mansoul. I'm not sure if any of you have read the book. So this city is called Mansoul, and it's a representation of a person's soul, right? Um, the human soul. And the city has multiple gates, right, with which it's attacked from. And the, the, the different gates are the different senses. So there's an ear gate, and an eye gate, and a touch gate, right? And, and it talks about this eye gate being a crucial entry point into Mansoul, the city of Mansoul. It emphasizes the importance of guarding our eyes, ensuring that we're not fixing our eyes on things that are unworthy. And it, it describes in this book of, of Adam and Eve and you know how Satan and his demons meet to discuss, you know, how they're going to attack the city through the eye gate, right? And of course we see in Genesis that Eve saw that the fruit was good. Through her eye, she saw it was good for food, and through the ear gate she heard, Wow, okay, it's desired to make one wise. Right, and so Satan attacks her through this eye gate, and still today, right, the, our eye gate is is important. That we're saying, what are we looking at? What are we feasting our eyes upon? Well, especially in our day, I think 2023, we wake up and there are so many options of of things we can spend our time on. Right, Tony Renke writes a book called Competing Spectacles in 2019, um, and and he plays on he he has a word play. On, on the word spectacles, right? Meaning spectacles, the glasses we're wearing, the lens in which we're looking at the world, heavenly spectacles, but at the same time, a spectacle, as in like, wow, what a spectacle. Like if you go to a soccer game, you'd say, sure, it was such a spectacle. It, it caught the, the whole the attention of the audience. And he's saying in this book, you know, that, that there are so many spectacles to fill our minds with. There's so many things we can decide to look at. And a statistic he gives in the book, it's, it's quite shocking, really, it says more than 24,000 minutes of user content is uploaded to YouTube every minute of the day. 
So every minute, there's 24,000 minutes of new content uploaded. This was 2019. I'm sure there's even more today, right? And so he says, if, you know, you, you want to... So, so in the next 58 hours, if you want to watch everything that's actually produced, it would take 80 years or your whole lifetime to watch it, right? Just meaning, if you actually want to stay up to date with the latest series and the latest this, and you say, oh, I just want to finish watching all of this, there's always new stuff. You know, I think Satan cannot steal the soul of a believer, right? We're in the Father's hand. We have this blessed promise in the Scriptures but he can make us idle. Wow, so many Christians are idle because we spend so much time, so much of our day on worthless things. And, and to land on, on Reiki's clever play on words, right, uh, we need to take off our earthly spectacles, our earthly glasses in the context of this passage. And that means turning our eyes away from things of the earth and, and looking to heavenly things. G.K. Beale wrote a book, We Become What We Worship, and, and that's it, right? What you spend your time thinking about and, and looking at, that's what you're going to resemble. That's what you're going to become, either for your ruin or for your growth. You might have felt it when you're spending time around certain colleagues or certain friends, a new friend group, right? You start to think like they're thinking and speak like they're speaking, right? It's a scary thing and it's a reality. So if we spend much of our time thinking of earthly spectacles, our hearts will become fixated and in love with this present age, even as Demas was in love with this present age and Paul says, he's deserted me. And so Paul even urges us in Colossians to set our minds on things that are above, right, where Christ is. And I'm sure we've seen this in our own lives, saints. If you just look you know, at your life where you're not spending much time in the scriptures, when you're not having a practice of prayer, when you're spending less time with believers, you know, when you just wake up in the morning and your whole day from, from dawn till dusk is just spent in this world, you can feel it, right? I'm sure you felt it, that you, you start to move in the direction of worldliness. It's that much harder. You don't even desire to pray anymore. You don't desire to spend time in the world. Right? Paul says, you know, behold the glory of the Lord. You know, you'll be changed from, from transformed from one image of glory to another, right? One degree of glory to another. You can say the same thing about worldliness. As we behold the things of this world, we change from one degree of depravity to another. Well, verse 23 says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I'm not sure if you've read the book, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's actually one of my favorite uh, novels, but it talks about this, this guy who, who is a scientist who, who figures out a way to tap into both natures, his evil nature and his good nature. Right? And as he spends more time using his evil nature, right, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger, and having more of a hold on him, until eventually he can't even switch and the evil just takes over. That's how it is when we, when we nurture these darling sins, these small sins, right? Just keep them. It's a bad idea. And verse 23 continues, If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I think this is referring to someone who, who thinks that they're good, right? They think that they have light on the inside. But in reality, it's darkness. And, and that's such a scary thought, right? This person's become self-deceived. And I think much of psychology today is looking at our core, saying, in our core, at our essence, really, you are good, right? 
And I went to a conference with my work that they, they had to, they told me you have to go to this conference and it's this, this must be an Eastern greeting or something, but you have to look at someone in the eye and say, I see the light. There's light inside of you. At your core, there's light. It's all about the, I love and respect the light that's in you. It's, it's, it's a self-deception, right? The Bible teaches inside is darkness. Outside is light. You need to look to Christ for light. He is the light of the world. Well, let's consider the positive. How can we ensure that our eyes are healthy? How can we put on our heavenly spectacles? Well, that's, of course, by fixing our eyes on heavenly spectacles, right? To borrow Renke's plan words. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what is the greatest spectacle? What is the greatest thing we can think about? Prayer? Yes, prayer is good. It's so important. Hypocrites pray. Knowing the Bible? Definitely. The devil quotes from scripture as well. Faith? Faith is critical. Even the demons believe and shudder. The greatest spectacle is what? We must gaze upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The Christian life rises and falls with the gospel. What is the gospel? It's that our Savior, Jesus eternally begotten of the Father, fully God and fully man. Even that is a spectacle, right? You could spend a whole lifetime just thinking, how can he be fully God and fully man? That's a spectacle, right? That he left the heavenly riches to come to earth, to suffer at the hands of man, to be spat upon, to be killed, to be nailed to a cross of wood, to be hoisted up and left to hang until his death. Fix our eyes on this spectacle. This is what Jesus did for you, for me, the Savior and the King of the universe breathed his last on a tree, and at that moment he bore the full penalty of the sins of his people. And he faced the wrath of God on account of these wrongs that he hadn't even committed. Let's behold this spectacle, right? That he died and buried, and on the third day he resurrected. Behold that spectacle. His, res- his resurrection defeated death. He won for us the salvation that despite our sins, the very sins that held them to that tree, we have everlasting life and fellowship with God because of the glorious, exalted Christ who is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for his saints. Let us behold this spectacle, saints. Gospel meditation is what we need to practice, meditating on the gospel. Right? Gospel meditation is to the Christian as fuel is to a fire. Right? Without it, It's a matter of time before it fizzles and dies. The same gospel that saves us will sanctify us. And John Owen, in his book, Spiritual Mindedness, he discusses the effects of meditation of heavenly things. Right? He says that the effects are, it increases our faith. As we behold the gospel, as we behold spiritual, heavenly things, it increases our faith. As we think about our our eternal home in heaven, as we think more about that, we're going to think that that's true, that's real. What am I doing today? Hopefully, as we as we even hearing the sermon, right, we're thinking, what am I doing for eternity? There's a whole eternity, right? Am I preparing for that day? Right? Not only that, it, it helps us to cherish fellowship as we're meditating on spiritual things. We want to spend more time with believers. See, we have growth groups on Tuesdays and Wednesdays here, right? And in and, and, and Saturday, uh, evangelism as well on Saturday, you know, we must think, I want to be going to those things. As we are thinking about eternal eternity, 
think, wow, so every single person, every single soul that you see, that's a soul either going to eternity with God or eternal torment. As we're beholding this, we're going to want to share the gospel more. We're going to want to chat with other saints and talk about these, these realities. Gospel meditation draws our desires away from this world and makes us ready to take up our cross, ready to suffer. Paul says the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Well, are you going through a trial? Are you resisting sin? Keep at it. It's worth it. Jesus says so. The gospel says so. A wonderful summary of this thought can be found in the verse of our beloved hymn. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? And so people think, oh, I just want to leave my sin, I want to leave my sin. The answer is look to Christ, right? In his light, your sin will become less desirable to you. As we practice spiritual mindedness, as we make a habit of putting on our heavenly spectacles when we wake up in the morning, we'll find ourselves craving these things that bring us closer to Christ, those things that will one day be our eternal activity in heaven. Well, finally, in conclusion, we look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This verse prehandles the question one might ask, Why can't I be a Christian and still cherish worldly things? Isn't God a forgiving God? Why, why do I have to choose one? Can't I have one foot on both sides? Well, the text says money, right? You cannot serve God and money, but really you cannot serve God and any worldly master. Any world, there's, it's a number of masters waiting to enslave us. And most Christians of our day, they have this mindset that they can live however they want the side of eternity. They bear the title Christian on their, in their foreheads, but in their discourse amongst their Christian friends, they're living a life as if the scriptures don't exist. Whether it's a life of immorality, a life of lying, a life of prayerlessness, or simply a life lived with no concern for God. Right? And there's no room for polytheism here. God is a jealous God. He says so himself. He wants all of us. He doesn't want us on Sundays and Tuesdays. Right? He, he wants us all the time. And true faith in Christ is a complete submitting of our will to his. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. God is our one master. If we love God, our love for the world will fade away. Yet the day we start loving the world again, Christian, even for the Christian, the day you go back and start loving the world again, start doing things that you think, I haven't done this since before my salvation, the day you start doing that, God will seem insignificant to you. You'll say, what's the point of prayer, of memorizing scripture? Why am I doing that? You know. And this is true ultimately for the unbeliever who's not submitted their will to God, but it is also true for us Christians. Don't believe the lie that we can nurture small sins, that they won't hurt us. As John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Or John Watson says, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We must unmask these masters and trade them in for the one true master that is God. And if, if you're listening to this and you're finding that you're still in the world, that you're still pursuing earthly riches, that your, your end goal is just is purely on this earth, we're telling you today that there's a much better master that is God, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for sins and that you can have everlasting life with him. 
Or for the Christian, let us wake up every morning and put on our heavenly spectacles so that we might gaze upon these spiritual realities and in doing so store up for ourselves eternal treasures uh, in our heavenly homes where God our Master awaits our arrival. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the realities in your scripture, O Lord, that indeed uh, we can get so caught up in the things of life, O Lord, we can get so caught up in earthly riches, O Heavenly Father, we can get so infatuated, O Lord, with uh, things that will one day be folded up and thrown away, O Lord. Won't you help us this week, O God, to uh, fix our eyes on heavenly things, to reorient our lives, to say what is truly important, what is my end goal, what is my chief goal in my life, how am I using my time, my resources, my money, am I pleasing you, O Lord, or am I storing up earthly riches? O Lord, help us to consider these things, O God, and to uh, spend much time and spend much of our resources uh, focused on how we can build up the church, O Lord, how we can propagate the gospel that many more might be saved and that we might make friends that will welcome us into eternal dwellings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.